Hey, Bettys. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause, and there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water, and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. Hey, hey, Bettys. We are going to do something a little different for this week's Geeky Magic. And I'd love to know if this was useful for you. So I'm right away asking you for uh, some feedback on this. Uh, We're going to change it up a little bit. um, And I wanted to share with you today, some of the questions that came up in my private membership group, uh, it's called Hello Betty. And as part of your membership in Hello Betty, we have weekly calls and coaching that will help you move closer to your health goals. So whether that is fitness goals, nutrition goals, weight goals, hormonal goals, et cetera. And About twice a month, we have a segment called Ask Me Anything. And this is where we can, you join live on the call, or if you're not able to join live, you can submit your questions in advance around your questions on nutrition or fasting or hormones or fitness or mindset, self-sabotage, all those things. And I'll answer them on the call. So I'm going to share with you a couple of questions that I thought were so great. My Bettys are so smart. They're such an awesome group. Um, and if you would like me to answer one of your questions, I invite you to consider joining Hello Betty because you will have, as I was mentioning this all access pass to all the programs that we've ever created. That includes my signature program, the Estima diet, both phases includes all fitness programs, the beauty program, the breath work, the yoga, the hormone courses, all the protocols, of course, that are embedded within each of those programs as well. And we have um, a couple of really great ones coming up. I I mentioned Betty Yoga is coming up. We also have a breath work class uh, coming up as well. It's basically your one-stop shop for female health. So there'll be a clickable link in the show notes uh, that you can go and check out the membership, or you can just visit Hello Betty dot club. So it's H E L L O B E T T Y dot club because it's a club dot C L U B. And so I wanted to highlight, uh, this question comes up a lot in the AMA and I thought that this might be useful for you as well. Her question was that she started the Estima diet about 10 weeks ago. And since then she's lost 14 pounds. She's lost five inches 
in her waist and she feels amazing. So her question was, okay, doc, so I've lost the weight. Like I've never been able to lose this weight. I've been on and off diets and you know, the five inches in my waist is just incredible, but how long do I need to stay on the diet? Right? Like, am I confined to a life of keto, a life of, um, restricting my carbohydrates? And so, I will answer this here for you live. The short answer here is no, right? The, there's a couple of, um, there's two points or there's two phases of the Estima diet. And she uh, told me that she was in phase one. And the point of phase one, uh, which is more of a traditional, it's a 70, 20, 10, 70% fat, 20% protein, 10% carbohydrate. The point of that phase one is a fewfold. One is to promote uh, metabolic flexibility, right? Through the production of endogenous ketones. Like that's the goal. So you can certainly supplement with exogenous ketones, but my strong preference is that you are, you are able to produce those ketones yourself. The second point of this phase is to increase insulin sensitivity by temporarily restricting glucose availability. Uh, most people that come to keto, even if you've tried it in the past, even if you eat relatively low carbohydrate, uh, there is some degree of insulin resistance that we do find in the population and increasing your insulin sensitivity through carbohydrate restriction and therefore glucose availability is going to be very useful. Of course, for women, uh, most of the women that are my Bettys tend to be in their perimenopausal years, although we do see outliers on either side of that. But typically my women between 35 and 55, uh, noticing a lot of systemic inflammation, brain fog, walk into a room, can't remember why you're there. So this is one of the things that getting on a ketogenic diet will help when you are producing your own ketone bodies. This will help to reduce systemic inflammation, including inflammation in the brain. And then finally, the other uh, goal of this phase of the Estima diet is to reduce visceral fat. So with this particular Betty, she reported that she lost five inches in her waist, and that is the waist measurement improvement, right? We, we always want to be looking at waist to hip ratio. I've talked about this on the podcast before. You divide your waist measurement into your hip measurement, and you should get something that is less than 0 0.8, meaning that you want your waist measurement to be 80% of or less than your hip measurement. So you want your waist smaller than your hips. And that's the point of phase one of the ketogenic diet. However, and there is a big, however, there is a big butt here coming, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I do not believe that women should be in ketosis indefinitely. And this is where the development of phase two of the Estima diet came about, the cyclical approach to keto, where this the, there's this strategic increase in protein and we adapt your micronutrients to be harmonious with your menstrual cycle. If you are in your reproductive years, and of course we have parameters for you if you are in your menopausal years as well. And the reason for this is that it seems that, and this, this phase two was really born out of my clinical observation that it appears that in some women, not all women, but in some women, long-term keto, where we are restricting the uh, carbohydrates over a long delta can suppress 
thyroid function. And in some women, we can see an increased production in their reverse uh, T3, which is basically the mirror form of T3. T3 is your active thyroid hormone reverses the mirror. It's inactive. It's basically junk. It can be used by the body. Um, it We see this with long-term uh, ketogenic diets or long-term carbohydrate restriction in women. We see an increase in this reverse T3. You also see this as well with overly aggressive fasting. Um, and then of course, suppression of insulin again over that long delta can also contribute to that increase in reverse T3. And so while it's important to temporarily restrict glucose availability uh, so that we are seeing a drop in insulin. That is not great over the long term. And this is just like all, I will just, I, I do have to put in a, a bit of a qualifier here. All science is nuanced, you know, and I know Betty that you're just listening here, just saying like, just tell me Frank, like, just tell me what to do. Like, tell me how to eat and I'll just do that thing. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. And I would say that that's true for all types of interventions. It's not just like, tell me what to do. This is right. This is wrong. Often we will see that things are right for a certain amount of time. And then as your body adapts and habituates and grows and expands and you are in abundance, so you also need to change that again. And then just as a, as a side note, when we are seeing that increase or that elevated reverse T3, we will often see a decrease in body temperature. So women will often report feeling colder. And so they'll often say, Hey, is it because I have less adipose tissue that I'm feeling colder, you know, potentially, but it's also very likely due to cha a change in your thyroid function. So phase two of the Estima diet really does uh, control for this. Um, what we want um, to do in phase two is we are cycling weeks of keto with weeks of higher protein and higher carbohydrates. So we're seeing that insulin sensitization with higher carbohydrate intake. We're seeing that increased protein intake, which is also very important, not just for satiety, but for thyroid function as well. And then we've also into in the phase two of the Estima diet, we've also built in uh, a refeed. So where we are consuming a higher volume of food. So if you are in your reproductive year, and you are familiar with the Estima method, you'll know that in week four, that week before your period, or if you're menopausal, just week four on your cycle, that we do a refeed so that you are eating um, a higher volume of food. And you can, you can do this two ways. You can either refeed a higher ketogenic. So if you're, you know, if you want to be ketogenic, you want to do that 70, 20, 10, uh, you can just have a higher volume of food. Um, although what I prefer is in that, in that week four, that you are having higher, that it's a higher protein week. So it's more of like a 40, 40, 20 or a 50, 40, 10. So 40 fat, 40 protein, 20 carbs. And you're actually just having more of that. Um, you're having more of those um, proteins. And this is going to help activate pathways that are going to prevent an increase in that reverse T3. And it's also going to allow your metabolism to keep cranking out and you know prevent that slowing of your metabolism that's, that we commonly see with long-term uh, caloric restriction. So that's really important. Um, the other thing that um, I've talked about before, but I'll mention it again, is also making sure whether you are in phase one or phase two, that you are consuming micronutrients um, that help to support thyroid function as well. So selenium, um, high selenium foods, high iodine foods are really important. So you'll see 
I've talked before, I've called Brazil nuts, the heavyweight champion of selenium because they are uh, lots and lots of selenium there. And then iodine, right? So if you are salting your food, I use a supplement called Element. It's spelled L-M-N-T. It's by Rob Wolf. I absolutely love this company. You'll see a clickable link in the show notes for Element as well. Highly recommend the grapefruit. It's my favorite. Um, but you can, you can also have things like sardines and liver, you know, organ meats. These are also very, very high in these micronutrients that are going to help support um, the thyroid. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. And this is really, this phase two of the Estima diet was really born out of what I had observed clinically is that often women who've essentially been living on 1200 calories, now y'all know how I feel about 1200 calorie diets, unless you are preparing for a show, like some type of fitness show, and you're like a month out, like maybe, you know, even then I'd say I'd prefer all your caloric deficit coming from your exercise, but separate topic. We put that aside for now, but I would say that women who have been like living on this 1200 calorie garbage caloric restricted diet for decades, um, they also tend to engage in more aggressive fasting practices. Um, they have this like super clean eating, this almost like orthorexic um, way that they are approaching food. So they're not salting their foods. Um, they are, uh, you know, trying to eat, um, you know, low cholesterol foods. Again, that's an, like salt, cholesterol, and estrogen. Those are like the three big bad wolves um, of the uh, of the dying model of allopathic medicine. All been all three of them have been demonized. All three of them, you've been told you're going to have a heart attack with them. Uh, just completely untrue. Um, however, uh, we see this aggressive fasting practices, not salting your foods, you know, lots and lots of cardio, like, you know, ladies step away from the cardio machine, step away from the Peloton, uh, you know, do some sort of hit training for sure. If you want here and there, make sure that you're, if you're in your reproductive years, it's away from your ovulatory week, your pre-ovulatory week, uh, and make sure that you are getting adequate recovery. Because a lot of times we hear, oh, keto, it's so bad for the thyroid. And it's like, well, you know, potentially I, I'm, I, you know, I, I can potentially accept that hypothesis, but it's hard to deconstruct often what's happening because some of these women are also over-exercising, overly calorically restricted, overly intermittent fasting. Um, and we, they've been doing that for a long time. So um, now that you sort of have a complete picture of what the Estima diet is, I can really answer this question uh, a little better. So I feel like no, the answer is no, you don't need to be on a diet all the time for the rest of your life. Uh, what I will say is that the Estima diet has built in diet breaks 
into it. So we have these refeed weeks uh, that we've built into the diet, but you can also, you know, if you have a, you know, an important function to go to, you have a wedding, you have a holiday that you've been looking forward to a birthday, a vacation, you know, whatever you can, you don't have to count calories, Betty. You don't have to, you know, count your calories. You don't have to count your macros because the whole point of the Estima diet is that it has given you tools that it is not just saying, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. But it's actually taught you uh, how to approach food. It has potentially given you some psychological peace with your relationship with food such that when you come off that diet break, whether that diet break is going up to maintenance calories, or maybe you're hyperphagic and you eat more than you should for, you know, you know, whatever it is, a week, two weeks, whatever it is, that you have the right nutritional tools, fitness tools, and mindset tools. And within Hello Betty, of course, you also get the coaching that will help you get right back on track. So I actually feel like taking a break from your diet is psychologically very healthy. I think it's um, in some ways it gives you something to look forward to. I think that when we are constantly counting what we're eating like all forever, I think that that can be, it can be laborious and it can, you know, it, it's it, it, when you sort of think of the quality of someone's life, you know, the pleasure that someone, you know, if someone's at a wedding and they want to, you know, have a piece of cake and they're like, well, that's going to really put me over on my, like, just have the cake. You know, it's just like I was saying last year, like, just put on the bikini, like just, you know how you have a beach body, you or a bikini body. It's like you put on a bikini on your body and there's your bikini body. Right. So I think that it's important for us to recognize that what we do 80% of the time, uh, if we can, if we can adhere to some kind of protocol, 80% of the time, and then 20% of the time we have Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter and holidays in the summer coming up, we can, we can relax a little bit. Then I think that that's just the best way to approach life because you have the best of both worlds. You have metabolic flexibility and efficiency, uh, in order to kind of get, come off the diet and then come back on. Uh, so I hope that that answers your question too, uh, Betty, if you have been following my work for any period of time, you're like, man, like I've lost so much weight or I feel so good. Like now what do I just have to keep doing this forever? Um, I hope that that answers your question and gives you some color there. Another question that came in that I thought was great. And I'll share with you here as well is what is an optimal body fat percentage to aspire to for women? And I think that body fat and BMI are often conflated. They're often confused for each other. So I wanted to take a moment to just explain what these are. Um, body fat, adipose tissue, essential, okay? Everyone needs a certain amount of body fat to be healthy, right? And of course, men and women, we have different needs, right? In order, like women have a reproductive system. We need to, we are naturally going to hold more fat um, and you know, fat is going to, we are going to have a higher requirement in order to carry out some of the different physiological functions that we have. So for women, the basic amount of fat, like essential fat is somewhere between 10 and 13%. Okay. Um, for athletes, somewhere between 14 and 20% body fat. Okay. So somewhere between, you know, 14 uh, to like a fifth of your body weight, um, can be fat. 
fitness uh, to be um, the American Council on Exercise or ACE um, has identified like people who are fit to have for women somewhere between 21 to 24 percent fat. So almost a quarter uh, acceptable ranges of fat, according to ACE is 25 to 31. And then obese is north of 32%. And so I think that that's important because the question was like, should I, I heard that like being under 18% is not bad, or I, I heard being under 18% is bad. And that's true. If we're talking about your BMI, right? So this is your body mass index. So underweight is defined as being under 18.5 for your body mass index. Normal weight is 18.5 to 24.9 and overweight is 25 to 29.9. And then we have sort of grade one and grade two obesity. So grade one obesity is a BMI of 30 to 34.9 and grade five obesity, of course, is going to be North of 35. So 35 to 39.9. And then we also have grade three obesity, which is over 40. Now, BMI is doesn't tell the whole story uh, of your overall health, right? Of course, when you have an increased muscle mass, it's, it's possible for you to actually have, um, uh, we won't say a wrong BMI because the calculation is correct, but it's possible for you to have a higher than expected BMI because you have a total increased body weight because muscle is heavy. And of course, on the other hand, it's also possible for non-athletes to have a normal, I'm using air quotes, normal BMI, even though they may not necessarily be in good health. And BMI does not distinguish between lean muscle mass and fat mass. It's just mass, right? And that often leads to confusion and frustration because if you are somebody who is fit, you have a higher lean muscle mass, you have higher muscles, muscles are heavier. That is going to lead, of course, to a higher body weight. But does that mean that you are obese? No, uh, of course it doesn't. And I have lots of um, examples, colleagues who have, you know, who are, who would be considered like their BMIs would be considered obese <laughs> because they are so damn, they have so much muscle. Um, so I think what's an, a, a better marker uh, I mean, BMI can tell you some of the story, but I think a better marker is going to be your body fat percentage, uh, which you can do um, with calipers, sort of a low tech version could be calipers, more of a high tech would be going into a, you know, into a lab and getting tests done um, where they're sort of like dunking you in water and, and you know, getting there's certain ways that they can, I mean, that's not accessible to everybody, but you know, you can do it with calipers, low tech version. Another super low tech version is actually just really looking at your waist measurement, uh, your waist to hip measurement as well. Um, so I would say that I would look at BMI, but I would be much more interested in a person's measurements because of course, muscle, even though it's heavier is denser tissue, right? So you've all probably seen the, um, the image of like five pounds of muscle versus five pounds of fat, like the five pounds of fat is like, you know, it's like the size of like my head and then some, right. It looks like it's, it looks like it's, it's a lot. Um, so muscle is, or fat, I should say is sort of fluffy and it does, it's not as dense as muscle is. So I like measurements. I like body measurements as a proxy because the denser you are, the more compact you are, uh, it's high, highly likely that you have more muscle mass. And of course we can also look at biomarkers. We can look at labs. We can look at systemic inflammation. We can look at fasting glucose, fasting insulin. 
and HbA1c, all of these different parameters to determine whether somebody is healthy. Um, but I would say that for body fat percentage, what you want to be aiming for, for most people, uh, I would be aiming for that. If you're someone who follows me, I'm assuming that you're someone who is on the path towards self-actualization and unleashing your Betty. So some, something in that fitness level, that 21 to 24%. Uh, I typically, uh, I'll just kind of share with you my numbers. Um, when I was competing. So when I was in, um, when I was doing my figure, uh, uh, competition. And I'll tell you, this is why I lost my period. Uh, I got down to about 8% body fat. So I was amenorrheic, didn't have a period for months, M menstrual cycle. When it did come back, absolute gong show, uh, because I was, I mean, y'all know me, right? Like I'm super, <laughs> I like, I went way too hard, like way too much calorie restriction weight. Like just, I went nuts. Um, I won't never, never, ever do that again. Um, but right now, typically I'm, I would be, I would be categorized in sort of your athletic, um, category in between that 14 to 20%. I, I punch out somewhere between 17 to 18% pretty regularly. Um, but I would say that for most people you can do like 16, 17, 18%. If that's, you know, if you're trying to get into that more athletic build or athletic look, and of course for fitness, I would say, you know, a fitness percentage of 21 to 24% body fat would be wonderful as well. So, okay. I hope that these two questions have been, uh, and answering them for you here have been really useful. I'd love to hear if you'd like more of these questions answered. And if you would like me to answer your questions, I would love for you to join Hello Betty. And I would love for you to submit your questions and I'd love to be able to um, coach you. So once again, you'll see that link in the show notes and we'll keep this one short and sweet for now. And we'll see you next week for our interview and our geeky magic series. So until then, I I bid you adieu. We'll see you soon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. 